0: You're not just giving them a banjo on a plate and spoon-feeding them a banjo. It's a tool to make music, and at the end of the day, banjos are awesome, and they're so fun and so beautiful and so cool, and they can make almost any kind of sound, and that's why they're, like, the best tool
1: ever. How's it going, everybody? I hope you're having a great day today. This is Keith Billick. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. I have a great show to share with you, but this is the part where I give you all those instructions that all the other podcasts that you listen to give you. You know, the, the things like you should subscribe to the show on all your favorite podcast platforms. You should give it a rating. You should give it a review. You should share the episodes on social media. Tell all your friends. You can follow me on social media, at least on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I am on all those platforms, and I share banjo-related information indefinitely when I release episodes, so that's a good way to to make sure you're not missing any of those kind of things. However, the best, by far, way of showing support for the show, if you're so inclined, is by going to patreon.com slash Podcast, and that's how you become an official supporter of the show. And for this episode, we have two great supporters to acknowledge here. The first one is a fella named Andy Maltz. And Andy just started playing recently, but he's wanted to play banjo ever since, he's, ever since he heard Steve Martin as a teenager. And he points out that that's the same story as Ned Lubarecki. Well, Andy, as much as you can possibly be like Ned, the better off we all are for it. So I, I hope that's not where the similarities end. And you'll also have to keep me updated on your coffee endeavors. Andy asked about the some coffee tips. He heard the, the discussion I had with Janet Beasley. And if you did not hear that discussion in the episode, well, you didn't listen all the way through now, did you? Um, so Andy, keep in touch about how your, your coffee roasting is going. The other VIP Patreon supporter of today is Crawford Brisland. He had some really kind words to say about the show, so I I really appreciate all of those. He, he he noted that two particular episodes that he liked were Ryan Kavanaugh and Kyle Tuttle, and now because of the photos that I attached of those two featured guests, Crawford is now growing a beard to see if it'll help his playing. Well, Crawford, as, as a longtime beard-having banjo player, if the beard is helping my playing, I would really hate to see what would happen if I ever shaved it off. So definitely let me know what your your beard experiment reveals to you, because, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever I can to, to improve these banjo skills. If I got to grow the thing longer, that's fine. If I need to sculpt it into weird facial hair patterns, I, I'm all for it. So anyway, Andy and Crawford, thank you guys so much for being supporters of the show. For everyone else, that website, again, is patreon.com slash banjo podcast, and you can find all about how to become an official supporter of the show. As always, you're also welcome to contact the show with any questions or feedback or concerns or comments or other facial hair slash coffee roasting advice. That email address is podcast at gmail.com. Today's episode features a special guest named Grace Vanthoff. And Grace and I have known each other for a while. In fact, if you listen to this show regularly or follow me on social media, you've probably even heard me mention her before because she's actually an excellent graphic artist. And she's the one who I called to design the podcast logo. She did a fantastic job on that. And there's you'll hear a brief discussion about... Um, some potential ibma awards for her graphic design work Uh, beyond that she also happens to be an extremely excellent banjo player and singer i don't need to give you all of her credentials because she does a pretty good job of that throughout the course of the interview but i also don't want to bury the lead the uh the big recent news with grace is that she was just hired as the banjo player for Chris Jones and the Night Drivers. I believe she's going to be officially taking over starting at the uh, end of September. So you can see her in action with Chris Jones. And of course, that is the banjo job once held by Ned Lubarecki and most recently Gina Furtado. So those are some real banjo heavyweights. So yeah, Grace really representing the the Michigan-raised banjo playing contingent well out there in the in the bluegrass universe you can also see her play with her country duo called sinner friends and they actually just released an ep as well so a lot happening in grace's world and i'm excited for you to hear all about it so here it is my conversation with grace van hoff
0: Born and raised Michigander, and now living back in Michigan, I was raised in Holland on the west side of the state.
1: You do have a proper, like, Dutch name, right? Is that what that is? So Dutch, yeah. Is it? Yeah, okay.
0: Yeah. Von Het Hof. Yeah, it's got a space and an apostrophe and only one capital letter in it. It's really fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's quite the combo.
2: Yeah,
0: um, I grew up in Michigan, um, in Holland. Uh, I played music. Most of my life. My mom is a professor of dance and dance history, so music was that, and uh, music in church was a big part of my life growing up. But I mostly studied classical music until high school, where I was on... what on, instrument? On, I started on piano, and then I also okay. played violin for a while. Yeah, um, I was playing, still playing both when I started with banjo, and then um, shortly after I discovered banjo, I injured my pinky on my left hand playing field hockey
1: i was going to ask if there's a story behind that
0: yeah um not really much of a story just
1: like it wasn't a fight or anything
0: no i wish okay. no it was just it was a pickup game of field hockey it wasn't even like a league game or anything and uh yeah i crunched it pretty bad and didn't realize how bad it was when i did it and then it kind of grew back weird and violin was hard ever since
1: but, but so so you figured banjo it couldn't possibly
0: well, it was easier, you know, because the tension on banjo, like you're not really doing like hammer-ons with your
1: yeah, yeah the pinky.
0: The pinky. pinky's not, you know, a real heavy lifter and the tension's so low. You're not like doing slides and stuff. It's so not.
1: it works okay? It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you actually go from being exposed to classical music to even being aware of or having the opportunity to switch to, to it, banjo?
0: Um, It was a total, it was kind of a total fluke. I was uh, also a science nerd, which has been a big theme of my life. And so I was on the Science Olympiad team in high school. And since I already played music, and my dad is actually a really talented woodworker. He's trying to teach me some of those skills. They delegated me to an event called Sounds of Music in Science Olympiad, where you had to take a timed test on the science of sound on acoustics. Okay. And then mostly
1: like physics and yeah. vibrational, mm-hmm. wavelengthy, yeah. Type things.
0: Okay. Um, and then you had to build an instrument, you had to be able to play any scale on it, you had to play music that they provided for you, and then you had to play one of your own numbers. And it was two person teams. And so how the,
1: long do you have to do this?
0: Like oh, a about few hours a semester, or maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was
1: going to say that's a that's you a have huge. A, you ask. have
0: about a you have a one whole season to build the instrument and prepare with your teammate. Got it. Study up on the signs of sound. Okay. Learn all your scales and um and then learn you uh, essentially like you get better points too if you duet the piece, so it's it helps if it's
1: with your partner. Yeah. Okay.
0: But that's difficult because it's difficult to make instruments and then even more difficult to make instruments that sound good. And,
1: and then expect both of you to be able to, to perform something. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I did it for two, I did it two seasons with the banjo, which I should say, I, we decided to build a banjo completely, uh, because my dad had built me a toy one when I was a little kid and I remembered it. And I thought at first, Oh, I can just go find that toy. Right. And I'll just learn to play that and whatever. Yeah. I don't even have to build something. I couldn't find it, but I was like, Dad, you built me that banjo when I was little. He was like, yeah, cool, and got the Foxfire books off the shelf. Are you familiar with those? I,
1: I was suspecting that it might have been a Foxfire plans version yeah. of, of the banjo. <laughs>
0: it's these awesome books that I guess it was like a high school English teacher um, somewhere in rural, I think, Virginia or maybe Kentucky.
1: I don't know the background. I, I'm familiar with the books, but I don't know the story behind them.
0: Yeah, I think it was this teacher was working in this kind of struggling school district and to get his uh, students engaged, kind of sent them out in the community and had them interview people about things they did. And so there's all these sections to the series of books, like how to tan hides and how to make moonshine and
1: (laughs) all sorts of survival skills.
0: Yeah. And one of those survival skills is how to build banjos and dulcimers and fiddles. And so we just built a five string Prototype, I guess, right out of that
1: book for the science Olympiad you did, or your—that's mm-hmm. the what your dad had used.
0: He had used maybe. it very loosely for the toy one, and okay. then in high school for science Olympiad, we sat down and like built it. I still remember it was like a maple neck. Um, it was a cherry cherry in plywood pot, but it was built around um, a Folgers can that we like okay. cut yeah. in half. Yeah, yeah. and then this—the head was deer hide that my dad had. I think it was from roadkill. I don't think it was from one of the deer that he shot.
1: That's perfect.
0: Yeah. I think he let me use that one because it was roadkill. Cause it was all torn up. Not like
1: a So what song one. did you play on it?
0: Oh, what song?
1: Do we and play? do you still have it?
0: I do still have it. It's okay. cool. Um, we I think I played, I think we did amazing grace the first year. And then in between the first season and the second season, I'm really going to like show my age. A Brother Where though came out,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which I I don't really care whether that's cool or not, but that was a big influence on me continuing to play. Just because that was like, I already dug the banjo and the sound, but all I had to listen to were Dave Matthews recordings with Bela Fleck on it. Oh my gosh. And then um, my mom had a Bela Fleck record that she used in her modern dance class. Oh, And then beyond that, I think my parents had... A Newport Folk Festival record with Jim and Jesse on it.
1: All so right, that's so all.
0: That's all the banjo music I had. And then Oh Brother Where came out, and it was like, you know,
1: like, actually cool again. to, yeah, to well, some extent. Yeah,
0: it was. I mean, if you think about it, it's like that's a pretty, that's a pretty good like starter pack if you want to get yeah. into yeah early country music, bluegrass, exactly. old time.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of essential essential standard. Folk tunes on there.
0: Yeah. And 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 great performances, too. Yeah. The artists on there, too. You know, you hear like Dan Tominsky do one, like then it's Allison Krause. Gillian
1: Welch, right. Gillian Welch, yeah. Yeah. It's solid. How did you actually start learning? Because you, you, took those and decided that it was something you actually wanted to pursue apparently.
0: Yeah. I had, um, my kind of, I had my homemade banjo and I had this sort of what I realized now is like a really rudimentary two finger style that I was playing. And then I just, I loved it so much. We, I think, I think my parents kicked in like a hundred bucks or something and we got a saga banjo off eBay. Mm -hmm. I think it was like $250 And it showed up, and the neck was all bowed. It was like almost completely unplayable. It wasn't, it was not a great banjo.
1: It was like not even a step up from your Foxfire. It was
0: absolutely a step up from the Folgers Foxfire banjo because that one was fretless. Um, That one had friction pegs that I'd carved myself out of Osage Orange, but I didn't let the wood dry completely first. So, in order to get it in tune, in fact, at competition, I'd have to take the headstock and put it under the drinking fountain and run water over the pegs. Oh, to, so to get them
1: swell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
0: then use like <laughs> a serious, um, like a torque wrench to tune it. That's and incredible. then just yeah. wrap, like I'd wrap a washcloth around it so it would stay wet and stay in tune. So yeah, that the Saga was a step up, but it still wasn't great. Yeah, And nothing against those instruments. I played some that were really good. This one was just in rough shape and I didn't. Have the skill set to make it any better. Yeah. So I guess we took it to the local guitar shop. The guy straightened the neck out, and I got started on that and played that one for about six months. Um, I had the uh, what is that book? It's um, the Pete Warnick Bluegrass Banjo.
1: But yeah, it's an Oak publication. That's all it's called. Is it's just called Bluegrass Banjo? I think. Yeah. There's not more to it than that. But it's a very
0: it's great very comprehensive. And, yeah. Yeah. That one is. Great. Um, The tab is a little weird to read because it's handwritten, but I didn't know any difference. And it's on the
1: spaces, not the lines, if mm -hmm. I remember it right. But it takes a little getting used to.
0: I mean, it was honestly like for me, I'd never read tablature before that. I just read notation, so it wasn't that weird. But now in hindsight, it's a little. But yeah, that book was awesome. I was taking lessons from a guy in Holland... And he was great showing me the basics and stuff, but pretty quickly, um, he'd show me a tune and I'd sort of learn it like obligatorily learn the tune and then go home and learn like three more tunes on my own.
1: Oh, just skip ahead basically. Yeah.
0: Or um at that point too, I had met a couple other people my age that played bluegrass, and none of them were super serious. Uh one of them's still a player, but he plays old time now. And they had shown me, like, how to slow down tracks and stuff. So I was trying to learn uh, music. I learned tunes by ear. Like uh, Who were
1: your favorite players at that point?
0: Oh, back then it was, well, it was Jim Mills. I would say Jim Mills, was, like, gave me a good foundation in what was straight ahead, bluegrass. And I was kind of a dumb kid back then and couldn't hear back. <laughs> I couldn't hear back, uh, like, through the old recordings. So I listened to Flat and Scruggs, but it just didn't. It's it's it pains me to admit this because that's all I like I live for that stuff now but I it didn't it wasn't clean enough and didn't sound like new and cool to me
1: yeah when you're used to modern production it's a little gnarly yeah to, to get used to and yeah it's not as accessible right off the bat if you especially if you hadn't grown up with it
0: yeah or I mean or classical music right like you're yeah. used to this really sort of pristine clean music and not and flat and scruggs is Great and tight and, and clean, but you know, Jim Mills playing Earl yeah. Scruggs to my ear just sounded like, yeah, it was just yummy.
1: Yeah. He was really big for me too. So yeah, he, I totally get it.
0: He rules. And then, um, even more so than him, just Ron block up and down the block 24 ah. seven eat, sleep. His Allison
1: Krauss stuff.
0: Yep. Um, okay. yeah, but I went all the way back to like weary heart stuff, st- some stuff he did. Okay. Before, yeah, Ron Block was was my guy. Excellent. That was the; those were the solos I was trying to learn all the time. or those like mashy ones in B.
1: Do I remember that you played dobro too? Yeah. Or did, like? Are we not supposed to talk about that? Was no, that, we can. Was talk, that a blip?
0: We can talk about that. The reason I got into playing dobro, and that wasn't, and I, it wasn't really a blip, because it got me steps ahead in my banjo playing and and getting to play with other people. Mm -hmm. But the reason, the biggest reason I was playing Dobro was because of one song. I liked the sound of the Dobro on. And then I also got with some guys out of Ann Arbor and had this sort of pickup band, but they already had a banjo player. And so I was like, well, shoot, they'll let me be in their band, but I can't play banjo. What am I going to do? Oh, well, I don't have to learn that much new stuff. You just
1: find something yeah if I
0: play dobro, so I did, and yeah, I think I bought my first dobro I bought my first good dobro from elderly
1: okay, yeah, I'm, maybe I sold it to you <laughs>
0: Oh, you probably did I probably did yeah, I used to come in there all the time when I was in college, like every Saturday I could and spend the whole day there just yeah. playing stuff
1: yeah it's it's a good, good ritual
0: This is elderly instruments in Lansing, Michigan. If they know. They know.
1: They know already. That place rules. <laughs> yeah, it it taught me a lot. I have a cool instrument collection because of them. Employee discounts are are a great thing too. Whew. So what did you? So you you moved on from the saga, apparently.
0: Yeah, I did. And because
1: that's not what you have anymore.
0: No, what? and well, this banjo that's sitting on my lap right now is uh, the banjo I got uh, probably. Within a year of getting the saga, I think. Really? Yeah. That's um, cool. Yeah, I like I said, I'd gotten with some folks that were about my age that were playing bluegrass around Michigan, and one of the guys was mainly a guitar player, and he had this banjo, and this banjo had been like kicked around between a bunch of players in Eastern Michigan, and it's kind of there's like a list of guys I have to call if I ever want to sell it.
1: Oh, the the, the provenance of, of of rights of first refusal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And he sold, he sold this to me, uh, at the time I was really mad cause I drove all the way to this side of the state. Uh-huh. Um, and he wanted a hundred dollars more than he'd told me. And now Ooh, and the I, bait and switch, I know it was, I was so mad, but I also wa- knew I wanted this banjo. It was a great banjo. And, um,
1: well then you cross his name, this unnamed Person, yeah, I'm not going
0: to name this person.
1: You cross his name off of the list. Who he will not get contacted when you decide to sell it. It's no. that simple. Unless no. he wants to to give you the hundred bucks back. No, it plus d- is, interest.
2: It, yeah.
0: Yep. Plus it plus lots plus several years of interest. But yeah, I, I'll jump him in the line and sell it back to the guy who sold
1: it to him. So take that.
0: Yes. So this banjo, yeah, is it? it is. Uh, I call it my Fibson. It's from. As far as the fake serial number in it would indicate, it's from 1983. Uh-huh. It's uh, a copy of a Gibson Reno 4 model, I think.
1: But no part of it is actually a Gibson? Not as far as I know. No. Okay.
0: Yeah, so it's um it's just a copy, and it sounds awesome. And uh, I think as much as I'm like in love with it, I'm sure it's influenced my playing a lot because... It's been with me the whole time. And I have other banjos, too, that I love um, and love to play. But I always come back to this one. This is my main guy.
1: It, it's got a great dry bluegrass yeah, sound. Yeah, Should I
0: play a little Please. so everyone can yeah. hear it? Please, um, uh. But yeah, this thing, oh man, it just, it cracks. Yeah, it's it sounds good. really good. Um, and a lot of people don't think it's fake. It's like...
1: It doesn't, it looks pretty darn real to me. Um, Not so
0: fake y- faux.
1: Fib. Yeah. Fib. It's the fibs. The fibs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the just fibbing.
0: My little fibs.
1: So you said your friends, Um, sorry, I'll give you a second for that if no, you it's want. That's okay. Um, you said your friends were... Teaching you how to slow down tracks—is that what you said, like using software or something? Yeah, is, is that how they were? I can't you even. To do that?
0: It was on like some. Via laptop I had at that point, probably in my college dorm room. And I don't remember what the software was.
1: Yeah, that's okay. I guess I was just more curious. Is that how you did most of your learning by taking recordings and slowing them down?
0: Yeah. At that point, I was still taking lessons with the guy in Holland and he's a great teacher. I totally recommend him. He's especially for beginners and kids and stuff. He's awesome. What's Um, the name? His name is Lance Rietzma.
1: Okay. And he's still teaching as far as you know?
0: Yeah, he is. I saw him a few months ago. He's t- he teaches at RIT Music in downtown Portland. All right, yeah. Yeah. He teaches banjo and guitar. And he, he's awesome. He's a great guy. So, yeah. He, I Shout would out get, to Lance. Hey, Lance. Um, yeah, so I would get my assignment from him, and then in the meantime be, like, learning Ron Block solos or learning, like, Blue Highway songs. i just, like, loving all that. Like yeah. If there's a top 40 of bluegrass, like, all those cool that, that stuff.
1: Do, from... do you feel like learning by ear? What did that help you with? Is that what you would recommend to other people who are who are taking up the instrument?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Learning by ear is great. Ear training—it's great um, to be able to hear something and translate it onto your instrument really easily. Yeah. And so, I do recommend it. Uh, that level of recommendation would vary, kind of based on what style you're going to do. Mm-hmm. I think.
1: You yeah th- you think for bluegrass pretty much it's the I think it's, it's great I go. think for bluegrass you should do it did you only something that I found really challenging is just the sheer fact that even when you slow down banjo music, you can be twenty notes behind before you even can press play on your on your computer mm-hmm. and get your hands back on the instrument, so I ended up giving up, and I ended up figuring out a lot of like fiddle music instead just because. The banjo has so many notes. I know. But, Honestly, so I really I, admire that anyone who can, can just dedicate themselves to, to hearing the, the banjo rolls and, and yeah. trying to get those right.
0: You know, and I, I don't know. I probably should have done more. <laughs> I probably should have done less because um, at that point I was, I was a college student and living in the dorms. (laughs) (laughs) And I was also studying music in college. I was studying classical music, um, but trying to learn banjo and just like dying over bluegrass at the same time. Yeah. And because I was doing banjo, they wouldn't let me use the practice rooms in the music department. I don't remember. Are you kidding me? It was so dumb. It was, I mean, I don't, I don't remember what the exact rules were. Like I could go and use the practice rooms for voice practice. For like school sanctioned practice, but I couldn't play banjo in there.
1: Can you sing with the banjo?
0: I mean, I could, but yeah. that wasn't the stuff I was learning, so it was it was different. But so I'd practice in my dorm room, and everyone who lived in my dorm hated me because well, yeah. I, yeah,
1: mean, because I'd
0: have to crank the music so loud that I could hear it <laughs> yeah, over the banjo, Over your
1: own instrument,
0: and I'm learning all this like like mashy, drivey stuff. It was just it was really loud.
1: Yeah. And in your, hindsight, yeah, i Yeah, your poor roommate.
0: I, my poor roommate, my poor floor Full and floor. whole dorm, I am so sorry. <laughs> I'm profoundly... What school was this? This was at Calvin College in Grand Rapids. And I'm sure they're much more lenient about practice room space
1: now. Well, let this be a lesson to them that they're really just harming the rest of the innocent students.
0: Yeah. I'm really, really sorry.
1: <laughs> but you had an Rex
0: idea... Ricks dorm I'm really sorry.
1: Yeah, class of whatever 2000 oh, no, probably like 2008
0: or something. Or something. Wow. Yeah.
1: So you were also having an identity crisis doing the classical at the same time. I was clinging.
0: Yeah. Um Do you feel and, like that
1: influenced your your learning on the banjo?
0: No, that was the voice the classical voice stuff. My chops on piano and violin at that point were not good enough to be studying that at a classical level. And, Okay. at least seriously and then I was in this bluegrass band and uh, I think it was mostly a confidence thing but they're like, you need to take voice lessons your voice sucks so i that's why I started taking voice lessons, I'm like, oh this is actually really fun, this classical voice thing is really fun and that didn't super translate to bluegrass singing at right. the time but it was because of the bluegrass band that I that you was. even got
1: yourself involved yeah, in the first it was, place
0: it was just this big circular mess.
1: Yeah, kind of backwards, but kind of yeah, not.
0: And then I've got all these friends who, um, like went to Berkeley and stuff. I was like, oh, that sounds like that was. I mean, I know that a lot of them had to create their own curriculum and whatnot, but yeah. I'm like,
1: oh that's that would have been way cooler. <laughs> it sounds
0: familiar, but yeah. So at that point, I was like, I was so crazy about bluegrass and wanting to study music, and the classical thing wasn't really working for me, and that was fine. I my classical professors were like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know why I'm here. I was like, I hate these classes. I didn't hate them. I was just young and dumb again. So I heard about the program at East Tennessee state. Yeah. And I got my advisor in the music department at Kelvin, um, James Keikendall, who's an awesome organist and was from South Carolina. So it was also kind of familiar with some aspects of traditional music.
1: Yeah. Is he any relation to the rest of the Kiikchenda family are, are you familiar with who i 'm talking about though?
0: yes, and i 've thought about that over the years. I have no way of knowing, um, yeah. but I know there i know there, there's more than one family there i don 't i don 't think they 're related i haven 't been okay. in touch with him i don 't know I was
1: just curious there. to know if that connection got made since you were already talking to him about transferring to the bluegrass school. Yeah. maybe it would have come up that 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 Man. his kin have the his magazine and whatnot,
0: yeah, I w- and that would be so cool, right, but i don't think I don't think that was the case okay. um that being said, he was kind of like my guy in the department, and he was so cool. He wrote this awesome like letter of recommendation to the powers that be in the music department and said like grace is to be praised for her initiative in like going to e t s u and i when I went for a semester, that was the original plan. And
1: to ETSU, you went to for a semester, mm-hmm. okay?
0: Yeah. So I, I, um, while I was still in Michigan doing all the irritating my dorm mates and stuff, I applied for the public performance scholarship at East Tennessee State, which is a great scholarship for people who want to go and study bluegrass there because it essentially knocks off out-of-state tuition. And so you just pay in-state, state university tuition okay. in Tennessee, which, um, it's which not is- It's not nothing, yeah. It's not nothing, but yet, well, it, it ends up being like, it's still expensive, because it's college. Sure. But it ends up being a lot cheaper.
1: Yeah, good. So
0: I did that, and I did it on Banjo and Dobro. I was on, there on a Banjo and Dobro scholarship. Oh, cool. Because I used to still play that.
1: Who one. was the main professor there? when
0: you Raymond McLean was the head of the department. Mm -hmm. Um, he's since been replaced, not replaced, uh, followed by Dan Boner and Raymond McLean now heads up the program at Moorhead state in Kentucky. Okay. Um, Raymond is awesome. He used to play banjo with Jim and Jesse McReynolds and with the McLean family band. And anyone who hasn't listened to Raymond McLean's banjo playing needs to pull their car over to the side of the road and just, yeah, take a listen. That yeah. guy is, he has got ideas, and they are cool and tasteful and so smart. And he's just, yeah. Uh,
1: I'll have to get some recommendations from you because I'm familiar with him, but not as much as I should mm-hmm. be, apparently, based on, on your testimonial. Uh,
0: well, I mean, he's, testimonial. L- he's a little overlooked, and he's such a talented multi-instrumentalist that I think a lot of people who have seen him perform maybe don't even know he plays banjo because he's a great guitar player and a great mandolin player and a great fiddler too. Uh, but I do know that the McLean family band, partially thanks to how innovative he was on banjo and other instruments, were one of the first bluegrass bands to perform with a symphony orchestra.
1: Oh, how cool. Yeah. When, when would that have been?
0: All I know is it was like before you were there. It was like before, Yes. Yes. Far before. And it was before like Bela Fleck or anybody had done something like that.
1: Yeah. It was a new thing. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. That's so cool.
0: So yeah. Raymond is awesome. He was uh, heading up the department. Um, I took vocal harmony lessons from him and then the, uh, the banjo teacher that I got, uh, put with which is so cool because she was only there for a semester or two was Kristen Scott Benson.
1: Oh yeah. How great.
0: And she's, I mean, she's a monster. Yeah,
1: of course. Yeah. yeah. She's the best. So what did she teach you? Tell it, uh, give us some, give us some tricks.
0: First of all, she just taught me real straight ahead stuff. I think she taught me, um, just really, I mean, really basic stuff that I think probably a lot of the listeners know, but like, Like that, what is that lick in Gold Rush? Uh, There it is. You can do that if you want to get weird. Um, Yeah, she taught me licks like that, real straight ahead stuff, because... um, if it wasn't clear with what I was talking about before, how I was learning, there were a lot of holes in my playing that needed to be.
1: And that was her, plugged, her main over. task was, yeah was she to was just
0: like, okay, you make got, you into a
1: complete player.
0: Yeah. And she did, she did the best she could with what she, did. <laughs> um, but yeah, she would, I just remember it was a lot of these standards like gold rush. And I remember what I was so impressed with at the time is she could write tab, about as fast as she could play
1: the lick. I'm always so impressed with people who can do that. I'm I, like, I need to put my finger on the banjo, look at the paper, look back at my finger, make sure I'm writing it on the uh, Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm useless.
0: I was I was just like my jaw was in my lap. Yeah, she was she's awesome. It was and it was so fast. She'd be like she'd be like, Oh, you don't know that lick? Okay. Like <laughs> just like blah blah blah, blah like yeah, there she's it is. a she's
1: a laser printer. Just absolutely, yeah. There you go.
0: Yeah, and she's awesome. And then um,
1: that must have been so refreshing, coming from your previous schooling experience, where you're guilty if you practice in your dorm room <laughs> and you're shunned from the the place where you're supposed practice to practice. Rooms. And yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It was great. It was really really cool. Um, I definitely, if I had the opportunity again, it, I would. I would do better with it. Yeah. It was really cool. So and she's so good. Yeah. Such a good teacher. Yeah.
1: I love her playing. So when did you make the jump and start to play more professionally? What was your first opportunity of, of that kind of experience?
0: Um, I played, uh, locally with a bunch of bands. I went from
1: locally in Tennessee.
0: Uh, while I was in East Tennessee and while I was in East Tennessee, I, started driving over the mountain one hour to Asheville all the time Mm -hmm. and made a bunch of friends there. Also, I had some friends in the program that ended up migrating over the mountain too. So I went back to Calvin under the pretense that I was going to finish up at Calvin and uh, didn't. Uh Um, And I went one semester back to Calvin and then, uh, and then was back in Tennessee or back in North Carolina in Asheville. And I finished up college there and stayed there for probably about six years. And while I was there, I played locally with a few groups. I played with, um, the first group that really like took me on the road was this group called Buncombe Turnpike. And the front guy of that band is Tom Mm Godlasky. He's one of those rare, awesome lead singer, bass players.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. Interesting.
0: And, uh, he would write a bunch of songs and we'd, we went on tour with that band and then like right after they hired me we got the job um actually i think the original banjo player was supposed to go the one who i was replacing was supposed to go uh, as the backup band for the bailey mountain cloggers to the international folk dance uh, festival and competition oh in spain that banjo player couldn't make it, I think, because he, like, had forgotten to get a passport or something, some, like, silly thing, and they're like, do you have a passport? I was like, yeah. They're like, come on, it's You're really leaving in a month. I was like, sweet. Um, so that was my first kind of taste of
1: getting Was to, you get to go overseas to Spain for this... Yeah. Quite unusual
0: Yeah, and we gig. just played, like, I think we just played Cherokee Shuffle for, like... We just played Cherokee Shuffle for, for like, eight minutes, minutes. <laughs> like, twice a day. That was a... Yeah, because I couldn't have canned music. None of the bands could. Okay. Um... But that was a really great experience too because they put all of the backup bands mm-hmm. in the same hotel. So everyone was As the dancers?
1: Just the bands were all together. Yeah, yeah.
0: And so it was it was like us, these like these like good old boys from North Carolina and me who was just like oh eyes as big as saucers and then there's like this french band and they've got a clarinet and they've got bagpipes and i didn't even know there were french bagpipes and then there's this british band and they're doing all these like super awesome ballads and then all of a sudden they know like 8th of january and it was just it was so cool
1: yeah that that sounds amazing
0: yeah there was a lot of interesting cultural exchange happening on that trip it was cool but uh yeah i played um with a couple different groups and did some like studio work and played with some kind of like alt country and rock guys around Asheville and uh just sort of did what I could to make money and at that time I was also apprenticing with a graphic designer and illustrator in Asheville and that's where I kind of like I was like oh this is cool because in addition to studying uh, music at college, I was also studying studio art and I was like, Oh, well I yeah. can do this graphic design thing. And then I can make posters for festivals and I can make album artwork for bands. And even if I'm not playing banjo professionally or, you know, playing all the time, I'm still involved in music
1: stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Helping, helping your friends and, and doing that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, <laughs> thanks for making my logo. I really love it. It turned out good. Yeah, it turned out really good.
0: It looks kind of... Yeah, I like it.
1: I appreciate it. And I already have people saying that... I'm going to hold them to this, that they'll buy merchandise and stickers and and T-shirts and stuff. So now it's on... You did your part and...
2: Yeah, I want a T-shirt.
1: Okay. I'll I'll wear it. Yeah, you'll be the first to get one. Cool. And while we're on the topic, you are hopefully going to be nominated as... For the graphic designer while... the, the perfect fusion. Yeah. Um, um, and we're talking the IBMA Awards now. They have a graphic designer of the year. Yes. So anybody out there who is so inclined to, to nominate
0: Any voting, graphic designers of the year. If I make it into the first round of nominees, just vote for me, please. You'll,
1: you'll get to vote for her. And then starting your professional experience, that leads us to now where you actually have another new gig that you can, that you can tell us about now, right?
2: Oh, yeah, it's
1: not secret. The cat can be out of the bag.
0: Yeah, I guess this is a big this is the big news. Um, I haven't been I've been playing with a lot of different kinds of groups. And I've been kind of away from bluegrass for a while, but I'm so excited and honored and humbled to have been hired as the new banjo player for Chris Jones and the Night Drivers.
1: Yeah, that is so cool.
0: Yeah, it is so cool. And like I was talking about earlier, um, I used to be just the biggest Ron Block nut. Uh-huh. And he and Chris used to play in a band together. So I've been listening to Chris Jones. I became a fan of Chris Jones because I found him through going back through Ron the Block's Ron Block catalog. Things. I've been a huge fan of his singing and songwriting and the stuff he's been doing since I was a teenager. So I'm like,
1: yeah, it's like ugh. you're you're dreaming. How did you get into this? <laughs> I don't this know. It's so spot? cool. That's, that's uh, yeah. very cool. Congratulations.
0: Thank you. I'm really really excited. And thank you, Chris, for yeah taking taking a chance on whatever kind of banjo player I am now.
1: Yeah, you have some shoes to fill. They're like. Yeah, that's Ned's gig and Gina's.
0: It was Ned's gig, and, gig and and, and, and they're, they're great.
1: So that's that's so, an amazing opportunity.
0: They're so good, and um, yeah. And so now I'm in this process of learning all of his material, which is great, and it's really really fun. But I'm trying to kind of flex these atrophied modern bluegrass muscles, and um, I've got both of their playing in my ear, and it's, yeah, it's something I've been thinking about a lot with with my playing and. Musicians in general, I think, have there's a rash of folks comparing themselves to other people, and that is, I mean, that can be a good motivator to an extent. But I also think it's really important to think think about what you want to hear and what's good about your playing and what's unique about your perspective, and really play to that. And I think, um, I think that Chris Jones is a band leader who's really, really good at finding people. And letting them play to their strengths—is
1: that your direction from him? Yeah. to, to don't bother figuring out this Gina Furtado solo. Yeah, just do what you think is yeah, the thing to do.
0: You know, from what I've heard, he says that he is that way with a lot of musicians that he's collaborated with and played in his band. He wants them to, pl- yeah, to play to their strengths and. There's a reason they're there, and it's because he likes their playing, and it's not because he thinks they have the chops to copy the last guy. Right. Which, thank goodness, because no, yeah. Gina Furtado, are you kidding me? Right. She's she's a monster too. Um. So yeah, I'm really I'm excited and I'm trying to, trying to figure out what the what things about my playing are good and useful and interesting.
1: Well, you just stole my thunder because I was going to ask you that as, of what you what you thought maybe your strengths were that attracted Chris to your playing or what what was the process by which he was able to hear you and enjoyed your playing, obviously.
0: I know that I, as far as I know, he became aware of me and my playing when I was playing with a group that I founded uh, about four years ago and no longer play with called Bill and the Bells. And they're kind mm-hmm. of, that was a really, really interesting, cool project to be a part of, and they're still playing. So check them out. They're great. They have a lot of original music. Um, they're kind of going a more modern route now and not playing a whole lot of old time anymore.
1: Okay. Yeah. What I've heard is very like, um, I don't know what you'd call it. Like depression era country. I don't know. Yeah. You describe it. I don't, I don't, well, I don't have my finger on the, we always, the genre.
0: We always had a tough time describing that because we In that group there were original songs There was a lot of sentimental songs From the turn of the last century There was like this kind of heavy Sort of Tin Pan Alley feel And then a whole lot of uh, Very early country music
2: Just keep on hum, hum, hum Humming all the while And soon there'll come, come, come Come a little smile You'll be <laughs> hap, 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 happy hap, all the day, happy all the day. And Soon your tru- 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 troubles tru- tru- are tru- away And when you wake, 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 in the morning Don't lay in bed and dread the skies are gray Cause I can't always be blue So when things go wrong with you Just hum, hum, hum your troubles away
0: Chris Trulson, who fronts that band, and me um, and everyone else in the band to a certain extent, we're all, I mean, like, I love Jimmy Rogers so much. Mm -hmm. I got my first Jimmy Rogers record when I was 19 and kind of have it stopped since, and he's continued to be a favorite and continued to surprise me and keep delighting me with all these ideas and Which is so funny
1: for somebody who didn't even want to listen to the older uh, scratchy recordings. Now that's now that's all you listen to.
0: I'm sorry. I'm
1: (laughs) you're forgiven. I
0: I was young and dumb. Everyone does dumb things when they're teenagers. But yeah, so there was a lot of that influence and because of that, a lot of the stuff was really what I like to call like uptown old time. It was kind of heavily arranged Um, it had a lot of twenties popular music influence in it. So, you know, chords beyond one, four, five and,
1: and a lot of very interesting, like call and response type of vocals. Yeah. Um, And a
0: lot of harmonies, a lot of complex harmonies. Um, we were a trio of singers, but it was often like Bill and the bell. So it was Chris singing lead more often than not. And then, Mm um, me and Kalia who still plays with the group, uh, you know, backing him up and stacking parts on top of that.
1: So, so is Chris going to ask you to sing a similar style as what Bill and the Bells were doing? Or is it going to be pretty straight ahead bluegrass from what from what you know? Maybe you don't even completely,
0: completely um, know. From the material I'm working up and just knowledge of his band, it's good, it's really good, solid, modern bluegrass, but he's such an incredible songwriter that it's really... Song-centric, which, even though the music sounds really different from what Bill and the Bells is doing, Mm -hmm. is something that I've spent a lot of time and as a songwriter myself thinking about, backing backing up vocals. Right. Yeah, and so he's, as far as harmony singing, your job as a harmony singer, a good harmony singer, is to pull tone in your voice that blends in a way that is pleasing and effective.
1: You play five string banjo very well clearly but you also are known to strum on the banjo uke with yet another group right
0: yeah um well i i played banjo uke with bill and the bells and that's how i got into it and now i think um i have what could be called a serious uke problem with ukes of all shapes and sizes but in addition to well chris and chris jones has seen me play uke with bill and the bells and for some reason would like me to try that in his band as well. So oh my. bluegrass uke may soon be a thing. Stay tuned. But the other group I play with is early country old time duet called Sinner Friends with, uh, it's me and a guy, Connor Fleetstra, who's from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he's an incredible finger style blues guitar player, great all around guitar player, and just an awesome banjo player and doesn't play banjo anything like I do. But a lot of the time when he's on big banjo duty, I play
1: little banjo banjo uke. Is that how you refer to it?
2: Yeah, baby banjo. Then you say that you wrong. And I know you will sigh <laughs> and maybe all own. That's what made me leave my happy home, and now you're gone. And I'm left all alone.
1: And now, of course, I mean I've heard you referred to as the Bill Monroe of Bluegrass Banjo uke.
0: Oh, I can't imagine where you would have heard that.
1: Yeah, that'll that'll definitely catch on.
0: You heard it here. <laughs> um,
1: so we we started talking about your banjo itself and we and we got sidetracked somehow. But the other cool thing about that is, well, you said you, you knew it wasn't a Gibson, but you have reason to believe that, well, you know where the net came from, right?
0: Yes. And as far as I know where, I hope I'm right, but I think I know where the whole thing came from. It's, um, when I bought it, I thought it was a parts Gibson, just like a thrown together, cobbled together, but mostly Gibson parts because it's such a good copy. But it turns out it's not. Um, And then this past... uh, And like I said, I have other banjos too. My other main bluegrass banjo is a Sullivan Mahogany Custom that I had built for me in 2008.
1: And what are the custom features
0: Um, of that? The neck was... It's the closest to a Bardstown, but there were some tweaks at the time. I was working really closely with Merle Thixton and a little bit with Bill Sullivan. It was actually one of the banjos the he had in his shop ones. when he died. Um, oh. Yeah. And uh, it was one of the last ones he had a hand in, I think. But the neck is a little bit deeper but thinner.
1: Huh.
0: It's um, a So, flat.
1: deeper but thinner, you mean? Um, it's
0: not as wide, but it. Not
1: as chunky goes. of a depth, you mean? Well, not not width.
0: Well, Keith, you play a Sullivan, and the neck is like it's like my arm (laughs) this one's more like 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 a child's arm (laughs) (laughs) no it's a lot the neck is built the neck was actually built to specs very close to uh the fibson and um the closest model is is the bardstown but yeah, mostly the neck got changed. Just and the then, neck
1: shape is what you... Mm-hmm.
0: And then they put a different tone ring in it, and I don't remember what the specs of that tone ring were. I'm showing my true colors as not a gearhead here. And I was lucky to have the opportunity to work with Merle Thixton, who's a great luthier. He still lives, I believe, in Louisville, and said, I like this, I don't like this, I like this, I don't like this. And then he just made it happen. And they made it, and it was... Amazing, Yeah. And that Sullivan's awesome. And you, as someone who plays a Sullivan, know that those are
1: really great banjos. It's very similar to the one I have, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I love this banjo. Um, It's not the one I have with me now, but I go back and forth. Like, I'll set one down for a few months and Mm -hmm. be like, this one rules, the one that I'm playing. And then I'll I'll pick up the Sullivan and be like, Oh my goodness, this one's so great. Like, it's just, it's a new, it's a surprise every time I pick it up. But the Mm. funny thing is that I found out this past December when I was on tour in Germany and we were on the bus a whole lot. So a lot of us sometimes would sit on our phones and me and this guy, Andrew small, he was looking for a bluegrass banjo to play and he really liked mine. And so Mm. he was on eBay and he said, this is so weird, but you're almost your exact banjo is on eBay right now. And I was like, Oh weird. And so he showed me the listing and sure enough, it's like from the same, it's probably from about like within a year of this one. It's from the early eighties around like between
1: three ish. You said you thought this, yours was? I think
0: mine is around 83 if there, yeah. And then, um, yeah. This one is about the same time, identical in every way. Same little quirks, like chalked in fake serial number, et cetera. And I'm not sure who did that, but I I don't know if the builder did that. Anyway, everything was the same except for the finish. And that banjo, the one on eBay, was built by Bill Sullivan.
1: Okay. Yeah. And then so you have a light bulb moment.
0: I did. And I realized I was like, I went back and the listing was from a guy who was from the same county as this banjo is from. And, you know, I don't have, if anyone has information about it, I'd be curious to know. But I'm 90% sure that these banjos are sibling banjos and that Bill Sullivan built both of my banjos yeah. just 35 which, years apart. Which
1: would explain a lot in a way
0: it would well it would explain why i like my sullivan so much yeah because yeah. i really like this one
1: for sure yeah that that's very cool that there's some some sort of cosmic brotherhood with, very, with your with it's, your instruments
0: it's a weird serendipitous thing yeah that they might be siblings um i was telling i tell this story to most people and they're like okay cool and then i was telling it to my friend Gabe Hirschfeld, who is an amazing banjo player, right. lives in Boston. You probably know him from the Lonely Heartstring Band, but he's got a solo project in the works that's going to slay. And He he might give
1: you a run for your money on the uh, graphic designer of the year, by the way. He, he photoshops some pretty mean it's true. Uh, bluegrass faces.
0: Operative word being mean, yes. <laughs> he's funnier than me, and the Photoshop work is really good. Right. So, you know, check him out. Um, but I told him this story and he was just like, that should be a movie. I was like, I know, right? It's like only banjo nerds would watch it. I know. Free um, admission
1: with a picky fingers banjo podcast t-shirt.
0: Yes. Someone needs to make the movie and then I'll, be, I'll come in buy popcorn.
1: I know some people. I'll, I'll get on it. So I know you said you're not a gearhead, but just humor me and talk mm-hmm. about the rest of, of what you're working with here. You said you really enjoy your bridge. I do. What kind is that?
0: Um, It's a scorpion bridge. Silvio Ferretti.
1: Silvio. He's the man.
0: Yep. He lives in, I live in Genoa, Italy.
1: That sounds right. Yeah. Definitely.
0: And he's wicked smart and he makes a hell of a bridge. Yes. Um, I've got this scorpion on here. He ended up having to cut the slots a little deeper for me because I tend to dig in pretty hard. And I was talking to you before um, before we started rolling that I was playing a square dance last night and I was pulling my uh, pulling the strings out. So uh, I might need to get him to slot this one deeper again. still, or it might be time for a new one. But yeah, everyone got a little overexcited at yeah. the square last night.
1: That's an okay problem, I guess.
0: Yeah, it was it was a riot. Lit. It was lit. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've got a scorpion bridge on this one. I've got a scorpion bridge on my sullivan too i just think he makes great bridges he does and yeah, uh they're
1: always very good
0: and they sound good on the banjos that i like otherwise
1: i don't know so why
0: why i don't need to try any other bridges i know what one's i like he
1: look for the banjos that bill sullivan made yeah by a bridge that Silvio made
0: did bill sullivan make Call a banjo good. is it? has the bridge got an arachnid on it we good <laughs> is um, a scorpion
1: an arachnid i think so okay you're the science self-professed science nerds so
0: yeah i wasn't in that event in science olympiad but i think it's in arachnid spiders and scorpions right
1: i'll believe you
0: all the scary ones we'll go
1: with it do you Um, want to talk about picks yes picks and then Uh, strings um,
0: let's talk about strings first because picks are more interesting um strings i have my set of strings here because i didn't know what gauges
1: they were because i she needs a teleprompter for this part.
0: Yeah, I just buy the... I get the nick, nickel-plated D'Addario um, mediums,
1: medium gauge. Now, are those the ones where the middle G is a 16? hmm That was always really weird to me. You don't feel like that middle string is, like, way weirdly heavy?
0: I do, and that's what I like about it. Okay, I think I know a cool. lot of players who are just awesome players that play with light strings, and I pick up their banjos, and it's great. But for me to get the tone, especially drivey stuff like I was doing last night, or even like heavy up the next stuff, like that flowery kind of arrangey pop music I mean, 20s pop music, I don't mean now pop music <laughs> right. that stuff I like having to work for it. I feel like that makes. In my playing, and uh-huh. whatever works for you, do your thing, find what complements your style, and just run with it. Mm-hmm. But for me, the heavier gauge and the extra effort, I feel
1: like causes my tone to improve. Just brings out you know? the more sound that you want.
0: Yeah, I got to dig in a little more. I got to work for it, and because I'm working for it, it sounds different, and I like
1: how that sounds. got to earn your tone. Yes. So you said picks were way more interesting... What, uh, um, what do you have to say about? They're these? not
0: interesting because of what they are, really. Uh, well, they, no, they are. They're they're fine. I have a blue chip thumb pick, and I um, and it's great. It's I think it's like the extra small. I don't know that they make a lot of ones this small, but this one's awesome. I've got it worn down pretty well, uh, just because I've been playing on it for a long time. So please don't switch it out because I'll have to learn to play again. But this blue chip is great. Before that, I played those Golden Gate. I think the Ivory ones were my
1: go-to. That was your go-to? Yeah.
0: And I've got a couple backups in my case. I'm pretty sure they're those. But I, you know...
1: Um, it's tough switching back and oh, forth. Oh,
0: fingers crossed. I haven't, lo- I haven't lost this yet, or thought I have lost it. I've been pretty good about keeping track of it, so I'm glad about that. And then the finger picks I have on now are what turns out to be New Vintage Nationals. Um, and I've had these for probably about eight years and they were gifted to me by a former sweetheart of mine. And I don't think this was their fault. Um, they gave it to me as a Valentine's day gift under the pretense that they were actual vintage nationals. And, uh, Gabe Hirschfeld, who I just mentioned, Mm -hmm. I ran into him in Boston a couple months ago and he gifted me a real pair of vintage nationals. And I was like, oh, these are cool, cool. Now I have two and pairs. I brought them home, and it turns out they don't look the same because somebody lied to somebody, and my Valentine's Day picks are not old. They're new vintage nationals.
1: I, I want to see an episode of Pawn Stars where somebody goes in with some vintage nationals, quote-unquote, and he has to call in his guy, Gabe Hirschfeld, to come authenticate Oh man, the, uh, the vintageness.
0: Gabe has national a lot picks. and the, the only reason Gabe gave these to me is because he has an opinion of picks like out of the same year from national. He's like these are I can't remember. I think he gave me the ones that were too hard for him. He okay. likes they're he likes them to be squishier or
1: something. I haven't um, jumped down that rabbit hole yet. Maybe some. I thought day I had, I'll, and I I'll and it to... turns out
0: I hadn't either. Okay. Because um, I haven't had the chance learning. to use them. I mean, they're they're vintage nationals. They're great picks, and I'm really excited to try them. But I don't want to. I don't want to just get out a normal needle those pliers and like I want <laughs> to I, I want to sit I want to like light a candle and spend a Saturday afternoon making sure they fit right and not screwing up the picks. So so they're sitting on my desk at home right now and they're waiting
1: shaping yeah
0: but these are great as far as the angle i don't know they're pretty what would you that you say those are pretty turned up
1: yeah they they more or less follow the shape of your finger and extend from the tip i don't know a few millimeters or something like mm -hmm. that nothing too extreme nothing too extreme i like to dig
0: in i kind of I've got a pretty good angle, downward angle on my fingers when I play.
1: Is this almost a, a J.D. Crow-esque? It's a little uh,
0: Crow Claw, yeah. I uh, definitely, um, J.D.'s one of my guys I like to emulate. But yeah, it's it's pretty close to a Crow Claw. And then the one funny thing that's unique to me, I guess, is the pick on the index finger. Isn't bent up as far as I'd maybe like because I have a false nail on this one for playing Uke.
1: Oh, so yeah, your, your universes keep colliding. That's, yeah. That's just the theme of your life. That yep. You're, uh, that's
0: why my playing's weird and does yeah. Sometimes things don't make sense, but that's okay.
1: But people like that your playing is weird because likes then it's your playing and that's what I think gets that's, you hired for things.
0: I think that's what everyone should do. I mean, don't be, don't be so weird where you're making people uncomfortable in a bad way. But why do you want to copy somebody? You can learn what somebody because did. Because
1: people sound good.
0: People sound good, and they play good things. And you should learn what they did so you can learn to be good like them but you don't want to learn to be somebody because if you end up being somebody, you're still going to just be a clone of that person. Yeah. Just be, be somebody like them with a lot of their same skills, but a different person.
1: Yeah.
0: Be yourself.
1: What are some of the things that, that you think <laughs> distinguishes your playing? And I imagine it's probably highly influenced by, Playing the banjo you and these other yeah. country songs that you've played.
0: My banjo um, playing, I was trying to think about this because I played a lot in a lot of different styles, and you can go back through my catalog of stuff I've actually sat in a studio and recorded, and it sounds a lot of it sounds really different from one project to the next. Yeah. I think a lot, and especially as I've matured as a player and thought more about the musicality of my playing. It's a lot based on the song and the story of the song. And I'm a songwriter too. I'm like a nerd about old songs and like songs still make me cry. And I like to, I like to sing them and I like to play them. And at the end of the day, banjos are awesome and they're so fun and so beautiful and so cool. And they can make almost any kind of sound. And that's why they're like the best tool ever. And even an instrumental song is a story and a song and it's a message you have to deliver to somebody. You're not just giving them a banjo on a plate and spoon feeding them a banjo. It's a tool to make music and like make a song. And so a lot of, uh, I'm getting a little like woo woo about it, but um, a lot of my playing now is like, here's this song. Hopefully I get to sing on it because I love to sing. And what can I do to back up my singing and the lead singer, if there is one singing, in a way that supports that singing, supports the lyrics and the story of the song, and is is a vehicle to get, get that message there efficiently.
1: That's really what you're thinking about is what's the vibe of the song and how can you capture that? Of course, if you're singing it, you need to capture it, but yeah. that really extends to your... And it,
0: and it extends to just basic technique and what I choose to do because if I'm playing and singing at the same time, there are serious limitations to what I can be doing behind yeah. my voice. Yeah, I can play some leads and runs and stuff, but I have that has to be thought through, and I you don't want to end up on some part of the fingerboard and not be able to look down, you know, and take your voice <laughs> yeah. off the mic. So
1: yeah, that'd, yeah, that'd be a bit more disastrous. Do you know things about? Microphones and pickups, or should we just bypass um, all of I can that? Talk about mi-
0: I can talk about. I can talk about. I have a microphone.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. that you know what what it is. <laughs> I'm not being... Yes, uh, Keith,
0: I have a microphone and I even know what kind of microphone it
1: is. I'm not being patronizing. I'm I'm accommodating your... It's okay. Your statement.
0: It's okay because I that didn't...
1: That you're not a gearhead. i a gearhead. I'm so I didn't want to put you on the spot of something that you don't... It's
0: okay because this microphone conversation ties a lot in with the conversation we were having about singing. Because this is a large diaphragm condenser microphone. Built by the Ear Trumpet Microphone Company out of Portland, I think? Portland, Oregon? Yeah. It, it, they are cool. I got into them because we had an Ear Trumpet Edwina in Bill and the Bells, and we would do one mic choreography, and we would mix these complicated harmonies around one mic.
1: Yeah, and... where you're mixing yourself. hmm Yeah.
0: And it's great. If you can get a condenser mic to work and you have a vocal heavy band it is so great to be able to do that because you can listen and hear and get it most of the way there on your own without yeah. as long as the sound guy isn't you know riding the faders and getting too fancy
1: yeah a, a lot of a lot of sound guys who have not encountered that will get very anxious very quickly when you yeah. tell them what you want to do but, yeah, being face-to-face with the people that you're
0: mm-hmm. singing with. It's there's no so, substitute for that. It's so great. You can lock in. You can lock in on the harmonies and um, you know, get the shivers if you're doing it right. And uh, with Bill and the Bells, I really I realized that I saw, not knowing a whole lot about microphones, I saw that this microphone didn't fail us very often. It was right. great in a lot of different contexts. And so when Bill and the Bells and I parted ways... I immediately got on the horn with uh, Phil at Ear Trumpet, and I was like, mm. I have this duo project called Sinner Friends. Um, it's the two of us. We sw- we both play. We do a lot of harmony singing, and we'll be playing instruments. We'd love to do a one-mic thing. What do you recommend? And he recommended the new hybrid one, um, if you're familiar with Ear Trumpets. It's in the casing of an Edwina, so it's a real... Like, small profile.
1: Okay. Is that the one without the shock spring suspension deal? The
0: casing is. that's the, the Edwina doesn't have the suspension.
1: Right. Okay.
0: Um, but the hardware inside of this mic is the one from the Louise, which is, that's which the, is the, the one spring. you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Which has a little wider scope. It can cover, like, a whole, uh, a whole acoustic ensemble if they're small, which... Center Friends is because it's only two people. A duo. Right. And it's a great mic. This one's called Adelphina. All of their mics are named women's names. Yeah. Um, but this one is actually named after Del McCurry because his <laughs> Well, because up. his I band uses them and yeah. they they're like, Look, we like the Edwina, but we need a little more um I don't know, what's the what's the word? Like a, a, pick up pattern, a radius. Yeah. yeah. And can you make us this hybrid? And they were making them and people saw them in Dell's band and they're like, we want that. We want that. And so they so just So now stout... it's an
1: actual mm-hmm. model that they, that they offer.
0: Yes. So I has Mike, it's a Delphina, and it's cool. It's awesome. We, yeah. um, the latest gig we used it on was this little like honky tonk bar in Madison, right outside of Nashville. And normally you would be insane to use yeah, a a a it. Like that. Yeah. That's a real test. Yeah. That's a real test for it. it rocked yeah we we went in and had the sound guy ring it out and then just take it down a little bit and it and just set it and Mm -hmm. set it and forget it she's a great little mic
1: yeah do you think you're going to use that on your banjo when you play i I don't know what chris uses typically for like a how oh, his I, stage setups usually are. I, I imagine d- there's a, an individual banjo microphone.
0: But. There is. Okay. Um, everyone's individually miked in that group, which is a totally different animal and something I'm going to have to get used to, and I'm excited mm-hmm. at that opportunity because it gets to change the way you play, right? I'm not sure exactly which specific mics he uses, but Mark Stoffel, the mandolin player in the band, is also a great audio technician, and he's kind of... He's the guy in that group yeah. and, and they're in good hands he'll, with him. Yeah.
1: He'll make so. sure it's sounding good. Whatever so I'm not worried.
0: Up. I'll just be like, Mark, what do you, what do you do, you do what you want.
1: Yeah. Any other tips to offer?
0: Uh, well at the risk of sounding too like foo, foo, woo, woo. Um, banjos are really cool. They sound awesome. It's an exciting sound. Gear is really cool and exciting. Someone like me, that's not really the point of this whole thing though. It's, it's the music. It's the songs, and music is kind of magic, right? It's it's telepathy because you can play a song with somebody and be on the same wavelength with them without even speaking the same verbal language.
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's its own language. Yeah. The, the, the parallels are just.
0: But even even beyond that, like you can sing, you could sing harmony with someone you've never met before and hit mm-hmm. something, and the hair stands up on the back of your neck, or the same with that it's music is time travel. Like you can listen to Jimmy Rogers singing a song on his last session he recorded before he died. And like, he's so great in his delivery. You can feel that you can be there. Right. And that's a really powerful thing. And a lot of art has that quality, but music's so in your body and in your head and you make it with your body and it goes in your ears. I mean, it's, it's in you. So it's this really powerful thing. And I think it's just like, it's cool and exciting to acknowledge that and play with it and um, get excited about that. And to that, to that extent, like anything that gives you those shivers, anything that like, I've got a window in front of my desk at home that has sticky notes on it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are songs I've started. Some of them are weird to do lists. And then I've got this series of sticky notes that at the top says made me scream. And anytime I am listening to something on Spotify, a new song <laughs> comes up, a harmony hits me or like a cool banjo lick. I write it down on the made me scream list. And that stuff spans all sorts of genres. There are drag Queens singing like dance tracks yeah. that have made me scream.
1: There's sometimes it's the most unexpected sources yeah. that, that will do that.
0: Yeah, classic banjo makes me scream at rules. Leuven Brothers' Christmas album, (laughs) I put that on, and some stuff happened on that record, and it made me lose my mind. Like, you're selling yourself short, and you're really cutting yourself off from good stuff if you're a slave to any genre of music. Mm -hmm. And it's important to, you know, honor people who built those genres and it's cool to learn that and it's so cool to be a master of one genre of music, but it's also cool to like things. It's okay to like a thing whether it's whether you're supposed to or not.
1: Yeah. I I feel like genres are kind of going away a bit anyway. They'll always be there because we need a way way to communicate yeah. about music and how to compare one type of music to another. But
0: Yeah, and I don't even think they need to go away. I just I think people should be there's something to learn everywhere right? and there's pleasure to be derived from so many different sources and ways to communicate with other people and get on the same level with other people yeah. and that's what's so cool about it and this is all just brainwashing so that you'll be okay about me playing ukulele in a bluegrass band now
1: she's the Bill Monroe of bluegrass ukulele
0: you heard it here folks
2: I can wear a suit. Spread the word.
1: Yeah, (laughs) you sure can. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. I'm really looking forward to seeing you accept your award and perform with your new band. Thank you. All the things you have going on.
0: Well, from your mouth to God's ears.
1: I don't. I don't know if He listens to me, but uh, (laughs) we'll find out.
0: It's okay. We'll find out. Okay. Thanks, Keith.
1: Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast featuring banjo player Grace Vantoff. The two sound clips you heard were Hum Your Troubles Away performed by Bill and the Bells and then Sweet Mama Hurry Home performed by Sinner Friends. Thank you once again to this episode's official Patreon supporters, Andy Maltz and Crawford Brisland. You can become a Patreon supporter by going to patreon.com slash banjo podcast email the show at picky fingers banjo podcast at gmail.com don't forget to subscribe rate and review on your favorite podcast platform follow me on social media share the episode with your friends keep picking those banjos support your local live music and okay i'll get off my soapbox and i'll just uh, get to work on the next episode and i'll see you next time for that
2: that it's fun that you can cut that out that was silliness